and I've made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways. That wicked person will die for their sin and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways and they do not do so, they will die for their sin though you yourself will be saved. Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying. Our offences and sins weigh us down and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn! Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? Father, as we encounter you in your word this day, we pray that your Holy Spirit would go to work on our hearts that you would challenge areas of our lives that get in the way of our walk as disciples with you and that you would call us back home to do a U-turn and come back to you where we find life. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how your week's been. Mine's been a, a, an amazing week actually and I've seen again this week that we serve a holy, a righteous and glorious God. He is absolutely amazing. And we're right to rejoice in the presence of our awesome God, but also to tremble with a deep-seated reverence. That's what happened as I sat down to prepare a message for all of you because there is an accountability that comes with bringing a word from God to his people that can't be taken lightly. You just can't. Not with words like that. So God forbid that you ever hear a message or sermon telling you that Jesus died in order for you to have lots of money or a nice car or a big house or no, or no sickness. That's what we call prosperity theology. And it's not biblical and it sends people into a spiral. God hates that. That's the message that the world preaches to you every single day. And when the church preaches that, it's like you're eating exactly the same meal just brought to you by two different butlers. I will be called to give an account of my ministry when Jesus returns. And I know I can't say to God, but Lord, look at their big boats. Look at all their money and superannuation. Look at their houses and all the things that I preach to them to search after with all their heart, mind, soul and strength. God will not give a rip if I say that. And to be honest with you, if I do rock up on Judgment Day and say that, then I should expect that God would send me to hell for doing it because I will have preached and taught you to be idolaters instead of Christians. There's nothing wrong in and of themselves of these things. But when they become our God, we serve a God who is jealous for our worship and our loyalty and our allegiance. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with having a house. Don't hear that. But I will not preach that Jesus died on the cross so that you can have that. There will be an accounting of world history and in that judgment I will be accountable for my service as a minister of the gospel. You also will stand accountable. 
And so you can see it's pretty, it's pretty serious stuff. Like Ezekiel 33. Serious because it's a matter of life and death. Ezekiel, he can't sit on the fence and be a spectator as the people waste away in their sins. The prophet must speak. He has to speak to warn people. He has to do it because he is accountable for their blood, which is their life, if he doesn't speak out and warn them as God requires. But if Ezekiel does speak out, he knows he won't be held accountable for anyone else's life or blood. It won't be all over his hands, even if they persist with their wicked way of life and die because God says they were warned but they didn't heed the warning. Their blood is on their own hands because they preferred spiritual blindness to the light and joy of the gospel. It's an act of love, isn't it? It's an act of love to warn people who are entrenched in sin to wake up, to stop and turn back to God. It's an act of love because you know that sin leads to death. You know that. It doesn't always feel like love though, does it? It can be unpleasant for someone to have to warn someone else and it can be equally unpleasant and uncomfortable if you're on the receiving end of a warning telling you that you're not living uh, as God it calls you to live. For most of us, there aren't many people that we trust enough to speak that boldly into our lives. You need a pretty good relationship with an Aussie if you're going to point out their sins. And uh, we should never point out someone else's sins in a judgmental way too, by the way. This is done out of love. It flows from a heart that knows the gospel. It loves someone and it doesn't want to see them get hurt. There's a difference between that and actually speaking condemning words because you think you're fantastic and and you're pointing out everyone else's faults and flaws. That's judgment. We're not called to do that. Confronting sin is difficult because sin blinds people. And when you're blinded by sin, you think you're really living. Really living. Does anyone here sin out of duty? No one sins out of duty. You sin because you enjoy it. And so people may lash out when the rotten fruit and the wickedness of sin is confronted because sin blinds people to the truth. And it takes something mighty, takes something monumental to actually expose that and lighten things up. It takes an act of God, a word of God that brings that light and exposes the false joy of sin. It takes the living word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit for this to happen and it lights up the room. That's what it does. It lights things up and it exposes the works of darkness in such a way that people can see what's really going on and you will all know well, friends, you will know well that it is not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture. I was at a pastors and leaders conference this week in uh, Sydney called Oxygen and uh, I heard an analogy at that conference that was just, I thought, appropriate. Sin is like being on your face in the desert in the heat of the day trying to suck moisture out of dry, dirty sand. Sin is like being on your face in the desert in the heat of the day and trying to suck moisture out of dry and dirty sand but there's nothing there. There is no moisture and so you suck and you suck and you end up with a mouthful of dirt and sand and it tastes disgusting and it makes you gag. 
filling your mouth with dirty sand will only make you sick. It will choke the life out of you and it will make you vomit. Vomit. Because it tastes disgusting. And so there is a warning for you and for me today, a warning to stop trying to suck moisture out of dirty desert sand. A warning from your exalted Lord and God calling you to wake up, to turn away from all kinds of destructive behaviour, things of a sexual nature that defile you and make you unclean, seeking your own personal pleasure everywhere you look. That is everywhere except for God. It's confronting the sin of pride, pride in your own goodness or your own works or your own right opinions for spending every waking moment wanting things that you don't have, being jealous of other people and their lives, for arguing over petty and trivial matters because it's more important to win an argument instead of focusing on what's truly important in life. Addictions. It's confronting addictions that are weighing heavily in your life, on your marriage, in your relationships. It's dirty sand. Those things have the appearance of life and self-satisfaction to corrupted hearts, but these things are not living. This is how to waste your life, not live it. This is the place where sin robs you of all your joy in Christ. In fact, the quest for these things above God, above Jesus Christ and all He has to offer in the ultimate scheme of things will never satisfy. They will never ever delight your soul. They will send you into an unending spiral of despair. It's sucking on dry desert sand. I love how the Israelites expressed themselves today in Ezekiel 33. They said, Our offences and sins weigh us down and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? The implication here is that they've been trying to live by filling their mouths with sand. They're stuffing it into their mouths and it's killing them. They have no life in them. The weight of their circumstances weighing down on them is massive. What had the appearance of life is now crushing them so that they're craving, they are yearning and thirsting for something that will satisfy their deepest heart's desire. We're dead. We have no life left in us, so tell us, please tell us, how then can we live? Listen to the words of Psalm 36. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see lights. Verse 8. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. No more sucking and choking and vomiting on dirty sand. God has a river of delights. 
And if God has a river of delights, you can bet it's a massive river with a powerful flow, the most powerful flow you've ever seen. There will be no trickle or gentle stream. God's river of delights will stretch beyond the limits of your imagination. God gives you drink from the flow of his heavenly delights, a flow that continually fills you with the power and life of the Holy Spirit, a flow that cleanses and purifies your heart and your deepest desires. This river will awaken and produce in your life the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and an important one, self-control. That is the delightful fruit of the Holy Spirit that when it fills you will make you burst to share that with people you know who are still choking and coughing and vomiting up dirty, dry desert sand drinking from God's wide and deep and fresh and pure river of delights means drinking deeply of the work of the cross of Jesus Christ, the cross's power that is not only sufficient to kill the power of sin in you each day of your life, but also qualifies you. It qualifies you for something. It qualifies you to share in a royal inheritance kept for all of God's children in God's glorious children of light. Erica, God bless you, sweetheart. You experienced the beginnings of that cleansing flow right over there this morning. God poured into your life, you dear child of God, he poured into your life from his river of delights, all the cross's power, all the benefits are yours. Live in that, Erica. Live in those promises. Colossians 1 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel... This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The river of delights has been poured in your life by God and notice that you didn't decide to find the river and drink from it. The psalm says that they feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights the river that brings the reconciliation that frees you from every accusation, that reconciles you. That means that the the relationship has been mended between you and God, which saves you from God's wrath and makes you holy in the sight of God. And all this is from God for you. But then Paul says that you need to continue You need to persevere. You need to keep running the race in what you've received and not turn your back on it. Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? They turned their backs on the Lord. They had. But guess what? The awful flavour and the bitterness 
of the false promises of sin led them to cry out, how then can we live? The answer to that question for Israel and for you today is to turn away and stop trying to suck something out of dirty sand that it cannot give you. Only God can give you what you really need. You know this. You know that prosperity, that money and wealth and all the dirty sand and throughout the whole earth won't give you eternal joy in the house of the Lord. You know that. That's not true though, friends, of God's river of delights. Open Psalm 36 this week. Open it up and read its promises again and be refreshed as you do that. Know that its pure and cleansing flow will give you life and it will bring joy that will glorify God above all things. And here it is. And satisfy the deepest longings of your heart in Christ. In joyful obedience, in hearts pounding for ministry that would move mountains to see others rejoicing in Jesus Christ and that same hope. Glorifying God with your life and seeking your greatest joy and happiness, go together hand in hand as God gives you drink from his river of delights. Nothing else will do. Anything less is a rip-off. Don't buy into it. Don't get ripped off. God has a river of delights, and it's yours. Will you turn from your ways and live? Will you come and drink from God's river And stop trying to suck on sand. May God grant that it be so. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. And we pray that as we go out this week that you would lead us to drink from your cleansing flow. And as we come for Holy Communion today, with hands cupped in front of us, eager for all your good gifts, Pour your Holy Spirit into our lives again and give us everything that we need to live at our high and joyful calling as your disciples in this place. We pray in Jesus' name.